Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. All right, good morning everybody. Happy to have you. If we can have our ushers come right back up front with your baskets, this is our least of these Sunday. We're going to receive our least of these offering. You can go ahead and pass the baskets. Uh, We receive this once a month and it goes to the poor and needy here in Campbellsville. And we always have requests. And this is one of those offering slots where 100% of this offering goes to do benevolence ministry here in our community. We think this is an important thing, so we'd encourage you to be generous. And if you want to text to give to that offering, you can. You just push L-O-T, and it'll go to the right category. All right, uh, here's what I want to do this morning. I I want to talk to you in a series that we've been in for the last few weeks. This is week number three. The name of the series is If You're Thirsty, and the title of today's message is Feed My Lambs. Uh, And if you want to go ahead and open up your Bibles to John chapter 21, you can. But before we get to the text this morning, uh, I want to talk to you about learning how to cook for a second. I want to talk to you about learning how to cook. How how many of you uh, ever went through that period of of time in your life where you realized you needed to learn how to cook? You realized, I'm no longer under the care of my mother and father. And you know, it's time for me to figure out how to make something for myself. Does anybody remember that? And you were like, you just couldn't eat another grilled cheese. You, you've had grilled cheese 187 days in a row and you had a P, B, and J and you just can't do it anymore and you need something else and you decide to learn how to cook. And maybe you, maybe you got a cookbook or maybe you watched a show Uh, One of the great things about YouTube now is you can literally learn how to cook anything on YouTube. Uh, I gave Glenn a tremendous recipe this week. Did I not, Glenjamin? On a scale of 1 to 10, what was it? 10 out of 10. Okay. Uh, I'll post that later. It'll be in the show notes, okay? Uh, But you can can learn how to cook anything. But but a few weeks ago, uh, I was thinking back about this learning how to cook thing as I was just sort of resting in this passage and you'll see why maybe here in a little bit. But I was thinking about something that happened many years ago. And I was thinking about this awakening that I had. And I had this awakening with my wife. And it was specifically this. Um, my mom is, in general, just a very good cook. Just in general is a very good cook. But she has like four or five things that are extraordinary. And you, you wouldn't even know it just by maybe uh, looking at my mom. You wouldn't think, well, this is a world-class chef or something. She, she's just like sweet little church lady or whatever, you know? <laughs> but there's a few things my mom makes that are just at another level. Like, so number one, my mom's fried pork chops are not in the same hemisphere of anything you've ever eaten. <laughs> I just want you to know that, right? Uh, I also want you to know my mother can make these little fried hand pies but she makes apple pies and they're not like the ones you've had are fake. <laughs> the ones that she makes are, they're the ones, they're Plato's forms. It's the true, it's the true version by which all the others are measured. And, 
when my mother makes these little hand pies, like she makes them for me on my birthday every year because she knows that I love them and I can just eat them all. I, I, it doesn't matter how many are there, I'll just eat them all. Uh, but then my mom also makes this other thing and she makes it at, at sometimes Easter and then at Thanksgiving, she makes, she makes cornbread stuffing balls. Does anybody know what a cornbread stuffing ball is? It's a, it's a very Southern thing. So in the South, in, in particular families, you don't put the stuffing in the bird. That's what Yankees do. You don't, you don't, you don't, and you don't, you don't, you don't slather the stuffing out flat in some nine by 13 cookie sheet pan. And that's disgusting. You know what you do is you make cornbread and you, you form them into these little balls and they become your stuffing. And, and I'll tell you something. We grew up with these and you don't realize they're special until you go to some other jacked up family and they're not there. And you're like, who are these heathens? And what is this? This is Thanksgiving. Don't you guys have class? You know? And I realized my mom made it, but this was the awakening that Heather and I had. It's a little bit dark, and I've, but I've told mom this. It's pretty fun. I had this awakening. If I don't learn how to make these, when my mom dies, it's over. Right? Yeah, it was, that, was the, that was literally the awakening. I was like, it is, it is upon me to learn how to make these. And so I specifically remember, I, I called mom. I said, hey, can you teach me how to make these stuffing balls? And she's like, sure, come over. And she gets out a few things. And I'm like, well, what do you do? And she's like, well, what you do is you get a green bowl and you, you take. And basically she started walking me through a recipe that is non-reproducible. There, nothing was measured. She, I'm, like, I'm like, well, how much, how much cornbread do you use? Well, I just make a skillet. Well, what skillet? Well, this one. Well, how big is that skillet? I don't know. She, and then how much? Of, how, I don't know. How much green pepper? I don't know. I just, she goes, you just, you just chop up the green pepper. I'm like, look. You know. And here's what I figured out. It took me four years working closely with my wife in conjunction with my mother's non-reproducible instructions. It took us four years to get something that was in the ballpark, right? Yeah. But one of the ways you learn how to cook is you receive it from a master and you receive it mostly by being with them, right? It's a couple things. Number one, you have to receive what the master's cooking. You know, you have to, you got to go and eat the, whatever the pro chef is making. You got to, because that becomes the standard. But then after that, you have to like devote yourself to their recipe. And a lot of times it's not even a recipe. It's just being with them. That's one of the main ways you learn how to cook. And, and I would like to just say, Amanda, uh, Heather and I have got the stuffing ball down, but you're going to have to learn how to fry a pork chop. We can't do everything, okay? <laughs> like some of this is on you now. That's the one that's on you. Okay, I want to tell you about this series we're in. Uh, the series we're in is called uh, If You're Thirsty, and it's all about spiritual desire. It's about spiritual hunger. It's about spiritual uh, thirst. And, and, we're, and we're landing here for a few weeks because human beings are hungry and thirsty creatures. Uh, in fact, it's part of what it means to be a human. We just, we have appetites. Uh, it's in our biology. We need food and water and we never outgrow it. Uh, not only that, but it's, it's in our psychology. Uh, we need love and, ac- love and acceptance. And 
Uh, we never outgrow that either. You never grow, you never grow past that. And it's also in our spiritual life, uh, and we need God. And in fact, every physiological hunger and every psychological thirst that I have is actually pointing to the greater hunger and thirst that I have, which is to be held and known and loved by God. Uh, that's why David says, I long for God like the deer pants for water. We read that scripture last week. David is putting his finger on that. Uh, there's something inside of us that just has a need and an appetite for God. And David knew the real source of his hunger and thirsts, and it was to be near to God. And uh, not only that, but I want to tell you maybe, or locate this a little bit inside of our expanded vineyard story. Uh, here in the vineyard, and by in the vineyard, I don't just mean this church, but in the big V vineyard around America and around uh, the globe, uh, there are a couple words that just come up in our story over and over again. Uh, it's two words in particular. One, hunger, and two, desperation. If you read early vineyard history, the thing that comes up over and over again are the words hunger and desperation. Uh, when the vineyard first started in Southern California in the early 1980s, um, the, the story is basically this. A, a handful of people who were self-professed, burnt-out Pharisees got together in a home group, and they said, they said to God, we are hungry, we are thirsty, and we are desperate, and we know that there has to be more. We know there has to be more. Uh, that's, that's part of our story here in the vineyard. And then at this church, if you were to talk to Dick Salmon or to Bobby and Ann Tucker, you'll hear something very, very similar. The phrase that I've heard over and over through the years is this, we knew there had to be more. Like whatever it is we grew up with, like in the church or in Christianity, we just knew that wasn't the whole story. Like how did this place come to be this place and why are we the way we are? It's because there was a handful of people who just knew there had to be more. A group of people who were desperate and they just knew there was something more than they were experiencing. And I want to maybe locate that this morning as well. Maybe, maybe you're here because you've discerned that you have a desire for more. Maybe that's why you're here this morning. Or, or maybe you first came because you knew there had to be more. Or maybe you came this morning because you've sat at the banqueting table of the world and you found it to be empty. Uh, maybe you've done addiction independence. You know, some of us in the room, we've done addiction independence. Uh, maybe you've done one relationship after another. Or maybe you've done a lot of church and after doing a lot of church, you've just realized, oh, this can't be it. This can't be it. Please tell me this isn't it. Well, I have good news for you. Uh, the good news this morning is that there is more and his name is Jesus Christ and he is the bread that came down from heaven. And he is the fountain that never runs dry. He is the true meal. And everybody who comes to him can be satisfied in their soul. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to read you a long passage from John chapter 21. And then we'll open it up in some very, very simple ways this morning. I want to say basically two things to us from this passage. But this is John 21. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. And this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, and then the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples. And Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. 
So they went out in the boat, but they they caught nothing all night. And at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. And he called out, hey guys, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. And then he said, well, throw your net on the right hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, and he jumped into the water, and he headed to shore. And the others stayed with the boat, and they pulled the loaded net to shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. And when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some fish that you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to shore. And there were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. And then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. And after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know that I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. And Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And a third time he asked them, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything, and you know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you like. You dressed yourself, and you went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and others will dress you and take you where you do not want to go. Jesus said, to, said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. And then Jesus told him, follow me. It's an amazing text, by the way. It's as good as it gets in the whole Bible. Some of you are crying this morning. Um, of course you are, right? Like, how can you not read this text and feel the emotion in it? Uh, there's a lot happening in this story. Uh, a few things I want to maybe start with is, is this. Number one, uh, the disciples had already seen the resurrected Lord twice. I hope you noticed that in this text it said that this was the third time Jesus appeared to him. Jesus is doing this thing after his resurrection where he'll appear, and then he kind of goes away, and then he appears again, and then he goes away. And this is the third time. And uh, this time that they meet the Lord, uh, they've gone fishing. And it's not clear why they've gone fishing. In fact, you can read all kinds of Bible scholars and there's not a consensus on why they've gone back fishing. Uh, maybe, maybe it's just that they don't know what else to do. They followed Jesus around for three years. Jesus is crucified. Jesus is resurrected. And Jesus has told them a few things, but maybe they don't exactly know what the next step is. And how many of you know that sometimes if you don't know what to do next, you go back to what you've always done? 
And so that's probably what's happening here. Uh, there's maybe a note of, maybe a note, a small note of disappointment. I mean, they're excited that Jesus is alive, but maybe nobody knows what to do next. And one of the things that's obvious is, is that whatever the previous three years were with Jesus, the next horizon is not going to be the same. So they go back fishing. It's unclear. Maybe they thought this was how their life was supposed to go at this point. In the previous chapter, Jesus had breathed on them and he told them, as the Father sent me, I'm going to send you. But now, now in the text, we see the disciples are not really going out, but instead they're going back. So that'd be like one part of the text here. The second part of the text here is this is clearly a redemption story. It's a redemption story. Uh, maybe, maybe the impulse to go back wasn't all bad, but the point at which they had gone back wasn't the right one. Uh, Jesus was going to take Peter in this story. He was going to take him back, but to a very specific moment. It's a, it's a redemption story. One of the reasons I chose this passage also this morning is because this passage makes the clear connection between food and love. How many of you noticed that Jesus is doing this thing with Peter? He's doing this thing with Peter, which we'll dig into maybe here in a moment, but how many of you noticed that the thing he's doing with Peter, he's doing it over a meal? By the way, just Jesus does this a lot in the disciples. He does this a lot with the disciples. A lot of Jesus' best moments are always, always at a table when there's some food around. And it's interesting that Jesus has made breakfast, and he asked Peter three times, do you love me? There's this connection between food and love. The disciples had been out all night fishing, and they'd been unsuccessful. They'd caught nothing. Uh, they must have been worn out, and they weren't just worn out, but they were hungry and then we have Jesus making breakfast and asking Simon Peter if he loves him. Uh, the Gospels, they just have this way of connecting the idea of food and drink, hunger and thirst with desire and love. Uh, it, it's all a way of getting at the marrow of our connection to God. Uh, one of the best ways to communicate love is to cook a meal or to share some space at a table. I never feel so loved as I do, like when my mom or when my wife make an amazing meal for me, that, that is one of the like, most amazing ways of feeling cared for and, and loved. And these themes just run through the Bible over and over again. And so here's what I would like to do with the text this morning uh, as it relates to our appetites. I, I just want to say two very, very simple things. We could say like eight things. I made eight notes, but I just want to say two this morning. Uh, the first thing that I want to say to the church this morning is this. It's that Jesus wants to feed us. This is one of the things that comes through uh, in the text. Uh, the disciples work all night on the water and they have no luck. But there's Jesus on the shore uh, and he's guiding and directing. And when they get to shore, there's already a meal prepared. Uh, the fire is warm. The fire is warm and everything is ready. And by the way, these details are important because Jesus is about to do some serious work with his friend, Peter. And he's going to do it around a meal and around a fire. Uh, Jesus is going to ask Peter three specific times if he loves him. Uh, once for every time that Peter denied him in chapter 18. And by the way, in chapter 18, one of the notes that's there during Peter's denial is that there's a fire. So Jesus has in some ways 
he's some ways recreated the moment. He's got a little charcoal fire and he's got a meal and he's gonna ask him three times, do you love me once for every denial? The meal that Jesus prepared for Peter wasn't just some bread and fish early in the morning, but it was also the meal of healing and forgiveness. Uh, It was a meal of calling also and commission. And I want you to notice this morning that Jesus did not use the fish that the disciples had caught. The meal was already prepared. Did you notice that? Jesus tells them, like, throw your net on the other side of the boat, drag it up. But when they get up to where Jesus is at, the meal is already prepared. And I think this is an important note because Jesus wants to feed us and he wants to feed us from his kitchen. The meal that Jesus wants to prepare for you is one that comes from his kitchen. It, It doesn't even come from your own cooperation or your efforts or your abilities. It comes from from his care and from his affection for you. The meal was already prepared. Jesus wants to feed us from his heart, from his abundance. Uh, You don't have to work for the meal that Jesus wants to cook for you. Uh, You don't have to make it happen. Uh, You don't have to get anything ready. You just come and receive. And so here's what I would like to say to this church uh, this morning. Jesus wants to feed every single person who's here. Uh, Actually, the first call of every disciple is to be fed by Jesus. This is is the first call of discipleship. It's to come to Jesus' table. And and here's what I hear in that. It's to be satisfied in Jesus' love, to receive from his table, to come and be filled. Uh, Even now, Jesus has a table prepared for you. Uh, Maybe you're like Peter, and you've gone back in some way to your former life. Maybe you've gone back in some way. Or, or maybe, maybe you're stuck at some point in the past. Or maybe, maybe you're here and you feel like you've let Jesus down. Uh, maybe, maybe you were a better Christian when you were younger. And here's what I would like you to know this morning. Jesus has a meal for you. He wants to feed you this morning. Or, or maybe you've stayed along the outside edge. You've been in the presence of Jesus but you've never come into his embrace. Uh, Maybe you're literally somebody who comes to this church and you've been coming for two years and you mostly literally sit on the outside edge and you have a few friends here, but you've you've never come into the center. In fact, you've you've pushed a few people away and, and you've mostly pushed away the embrace of Jesus. Like you wanna be around Jesus, but you haven't come all the way into his arms. Uh, Here's what I'd like you to know this morning. Jesus has a meal prepared for you. Jesus wants to feed you. Here's what I want to say to each person here. Jesus wants to feed you. Uh, If you're a broken person, Jesus wants to feed you. Uh, If you're a hungry person, Jesus wants to feed you. If you're thirsty, Uh, If you're busted, some of us in this room are busted. Uh, Jesus wants to feed you. Uh, If you've done some losing, and maybe maybe you're someone here who hasn't done some losing, but you've done a lot of losing. Uh, Here's what I want you to know. Jesus wants to feed you. Uh, Maybe you feel like the biggest loser, and you didn't even go to the TV show. Uh, Here's what I want you to know. Jesus wants to feed you. So number one, for everybody here, Jesus wants to feed you. And the first job of every disciple 
is to receive from Jesus' table. To receive his love, to receive his acceptance, to receive his forgiveness, to receive his call, and to receive his call again. That's what we receive at Jesus' table. But then the second thing I want you to see from the text this morning is that Jesus wants me to feed others. Isn't it interesting that we oftentimes read this text and we pick up on the three times that Jesus speaks to Peter and we're reminded of the three times that Peter denies Jesus. And we hear these tender words from Jesus to Peter, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. And we, we pick up right away that Jesus is doing something there and maybe we even pick up on the fact that Jesus wants Peter to begin to take care of others. But one of the things I hope we see this morning, or maybe the question we might be asking is, well, well what is Peter to give to others? Or what is Peter to feed the other sheep? And what I would like to suggest this morning is that Jesus wants Peter to feed others the very same meal that he's being fed in that moment. In Peter's case, it's a meal of forgiveness and acceptance. It's also a meal of calling and commissioning. It's a meal of you, you are my disciple, you will be my disciple. You are an apostle, you will continue to be an apostle. Uh, your rejection of me cannot eclipse my acceptance of you. That's the meal that Jesus gives Peter. And there's a sense in which Jesus prepares this meal for every single person. But then if we were to dig into the details of your life... My guess is that Jesus has cooked some things for you that sit on no one else's plate. Right? Like Jesus just has done some things in your life that are very particular to you. This is part of what Jesus does for every disciple. He, he wants to feed you and he knows what you like. Like he knows that I like fried apple pies. And he knows that I like little stuffing balls. And he knows all of these things. And he wants me actually to receive these from his table, but then he wants me to turn and feed them to the world. And part of what this means for you and I is, is we have to become awake to the ways in which Jesus' love and acceptance and kindness has been a table and has been a feast to us. Like, can you name it specifically? Because in the ways that you've experienced Jesus' affection and in the ways that you've experienced Jesus's table, these are the very places that Jesus calls you to look out into the world and to multiply it. Like, what is your story with Jesus? I've been thinking about this all week long. What is your story with Jesus? Can you, can you name it? It's essentially your mom's kitchen. Maybe you learned how to cook something from your mama. I did. Maybe you learned how to make some steaks from your dad, or maybe you've picked up something else along the way. But one of the things that I've been thinking about this, way, this week is all the ways in which Jesus has intersected my life in some very peculiar ways. And those are the ways that he's calling me to put it back out into the world. Like Some of us here have tremendous stories of redemption. Some of us here in the room, 
were as lost as a, as a ball in high weeds. I mean, we're like, you weren't just a little bit lost, but you were very, very lost. And you have radical stories of being saved. Uh, here's what I would like to suggest to you. That was the beginning of Jesus cooking a meal for you, and you should begin to multiply that. You, you might be thinking, well, how do I multiply that? Here's how you do it. You do it by telling the story. You do it, you do it by telling the story of the ways in which Jesus has been kind to you. We got Peter here being forgiven, right? Peter being forgiven and Jesus saying, feed my lambs. He's, he's saying, would you take the same forgiveness that you're experiencing from me and would you tell the world about it? By the way, this was also the same Peter who said, Lord, how many times should we, should we forgive people, right? And Jesus is like, over and over and over and over, right? So he hears it, but then he gets to experience it. And later, Peter gets to multiply this into the world. Like, this is, this is how it works. We're taking things from Jesus' kitchen. I want to tell you one more story, and then we'll wrap. I was doing some... I was doing some reading this week. I was specifically reading about an outpouring of the Spirit in Wales in 1904. Anybody know about this? It's a tremendous story. It's, it's an amazing story. It's, it's a sad story. It's a beautiful story. But um, here's essentially what happened in 1904 in Wales. In the course of 10 months, 100,000 people come to Jesus in a tiny country where there's more sheep than there are people. Like there's just this compressed outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And one of the, one of the stories I read about this week was the story of a, of a young girl named Flory Evans. Anybody ever heard of Flory Evans? Flory Evans is actually probably the person who kicked off the Welsh revival. It wasn't Evan Roberts, by the way. It was a young girl named Flory Evans. And she was in Wales. And here, here's basically what happened. While she's in Wales, she's like 18 maybe 19, the spirit is already beginning to stir. She had never really had a formal relationship with God. Like she had been in church. She had been around preaching and all the things. And at a certain point, she runs into this pastor and she goes to the meeting. And while she's at the meeting, the power of the spirit falls on her. Uh, we would just call it conviction today. And she goes home gripped with just like, what do I got to do? And she finally goes to that pastor's house and says, I don't know what to do. I can't live like this anymore. And he says, well, you need to give your heart to Jesus, basically. And so she does. And then the next week, she comes back to this youth meeting they're having, like a young people's meeting. And in the course of it, uh, the pastor makes like this moment for just a little testimony. And she stands up and she says just like the simplest thing. She says, I need everyone here to know that I love the Lord Jesus Christ with my whole heart. And everything I read this week said it just it like exploded in the room. And those words fell on everyone. It's the simplest thing, right? Yeah. Uh, why do I want to tell that story? I want to tell that story because the things that Jesus does for us, those are the things that we share. Like the meal that Jesus cooks for us, it's the meal that we, 
is the meal that we feed to others. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. I love the Lord Jesus Christ with my whole heart. It could be something so simple. Jesus wants to feed you. And Jesus wants you and I to feed others. From, from the table that we've received. Amen? Jesus wants to feed you. And he wants you to feed others. Some of us here in this room, we've been delivered. We've been uh, we've been sheltered. We've been forgiven. Uh, some of us here have been changed. Some of us here have been healed. Uh, some of us here have been pulled out of the depths of darkness. Um, and the Lord would have us share that with the world. So here's what I'd love to do this morning. I'd love it if the band would come on up. We're going to sing one more time. And then after we sing this morning, there'll be a ministry team up front. And maybe, maybe you need to come and uh, receive ministry this morning. Uh, maybe you need to respond to the message. Or maybe there's something else happening in your life that has little to nothing to do with anything that I've shared this morning. That's great, too. We would love to pray with you. So why don't you stand? We're going to pray, and then we're going to sing. And maybe you need to respond. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.